1: And thank you very much, and welcome aboard on this Monday morning. Beautiful day outside in the neighborhood. We're above 70 degrees. Uh, It's not too windy, and it's uh, not overcast, so let's take this as a big win for all of us. Uh, Big weekend, uh, or last week, wrapped up this weekend, CPAC uh, in Washington, D.C. Todd Starnes, our fearless leader, was there with his crew, and uh, how was it?
2: Well, I got to tell you, Earl, our staff doesn't like to eat cheap. You know, that's a, back in back in the day when you and I were back in this business, we were lucky to get to Waffle House on the company dime. But we fed up. We had them steak. We had them eating steak just about every night. down oh, Wow! There. So beautiful area down there on the National Harbor in Maryland. Uh, right down from the MGM Grand, which I didn't realize had a casino uh, right there in uh, in Washington, D.C. Did you stop by and uh, contribute some money? Double Yeah, <laughs> get my nickel slots. Uh, <laughs> apparently, they'll even let you bring in nickels. Now it's a card or something. I mean, where's the fun yeah, in that?
1: I know. that's the. I rarely ever went down when we had casinos here, but— I showed up after about 20 years after the Open, I'm looking around. This was my photographer. We shot something else, and this lady said, What are you looking for, sir? I said, I'm looking for those buckets that you catch the coins in. She goes, Sir, we haven't done that in 20 years. I went, Oh. <laughs> Obviously, I'm not a it's regular. <laughs> changed. It's changed a lot. But you're right. That was the fun to me. Yeah. On the slots was all those big coins
2: you got. But we had a great time. It's uh, We brought uh, four people, uh, myself, uh, Grace Baker, Uh, Alan Morrow, our great student writer intern, and Caleb Park, our managing editor, and hit Radio Row. Earl, I wasn't there 10 minutes. I kid you not. Victoria Jones comes up. I love her. Do you know Earl Farrell? (laughs) I'm like, oh, Lord. yeah I know Earl. I can't even get out of Memphis and not hear about it. <laughs> it was great. So yeah. the next thing I know we're taking a picture and we're on like talkers magazine or something oh really so okay. she's she's very well connected that but she's she's told me to tell you hello. yeah
1: Victoria's I uh, love her. she's from Great Britain and mm-hmm. uh, uh, had her on back uh, during the passing of the Queen and uh, just has a vast and broad um, history of the whole royal family and she's going to call uh, in when on the coronation. So evidently she is invited, but Harry and Meghan are not, uh, although they've heard that may have changed. So who knows? Who knows? Well, from all I gathered from all the coverage, your coverage, and everything else I came across from CPAC
2: is that it was Trump's show. It was. And it was, look, it was good. I'd, it's not the largest CPAC I've, I've been to. And the crowds were noticeably smaller. I will say this, with for Trump's speech, it was standing room only but literally for the rest of the time barely half full and and there's a i i suppose there's a reason for that you know it's an off season you know it's we don't it's have an election yeah so there there's that and there are plenty of other things for people to do there so i would say there were probably several thousand people uh in in attendance there seemed to be a lot of activity and hubbub on radio row which is where we were and um as a matter of fact several folks from the mid south were there uh from mississippi uh, DeSoto county and uh, And here in Shelby County, so it was good to see a few folks from uh, from back home in, in Washington too.
1: What was the temperament there, especially in lieu of? The Chicago election,
2: where the mayor Lightfoot was voted out, yeah. did that encourage and energize the Republicans? I think there was some of that, but Liz Peek, uh, who is um, on our national show quite a bit, she has a column at Fox News. She was pointing out that the yeah, it's great that Lightfoot got booted, but the reality is the the other two candidates left are just as progressive on some of the issues. So, you know, it's it's. They're probably not going to be electing a Republican anytime soon there. But I would say that people are really excited. I mean, this was a Trump-centric event. I didn't see—you know, in years past, you'd have Rand Paul and his gaggle of libertarians, and they'd be trying to fight somebody in the hallway, you know, political fight. And there was a lot of uh, chaos and fun chaos. Uh, There really wasn't that this year. It was pretty much an all-Trump crowd.
1: Yeah, I get you know. this is not coming. There was a number of other people that said I'm not going to go either because they figured that wasn't their deal and they're not going to be able to steal the show. Yeah, uh, but at the same time, it 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 takes away from the synergy of the entire show, as you said, uh, the entire show. That even if there was somebody that was opposed to Trump that was going to speak, everybody was going to show up to see that to see what they said.
2: Absolutely, and and you know, Mike Pompeo was there. We we sat down uh, for a private interview with Pompeo. Low energy, just, I mean, what he said was great, but I'm like, man, I hope that's not how he's going to deliver his speech. And he did. It was low energy. He attacked Trump without naming Trump by, you know, without calling him by name. And I think that was a mistake. I mean, if you're going to attack somebody, call them out and yeah. at least stir up some headlines. Nikki Haley got booed. Did you really? But she's not polling that well anyway. Yeah. So, and and Pompeo's not either. I think Pence is barely ahead of Nikki Haley in in the straw poll that was taken Saturday.
1: You know, Pence is a nice guy; everybody liked him. But as far as the excitement level, there's there's none there. And Pompeo. He's a diplomat. That's Even though he was Secretary of State, I mean, he was still never somebody to get out there and beat on
2: the desk and say, we're not taking this anymore. You know, it's interesting. He's more like, I would say, George H.W. Bush, kind of a modern version, more conservative. Uh, But Pompeo came up through the ranks. You know, he went to one of the military academies, Ivy Leaguer director of the CIA and then it was a congressman from uh, Kansas for a while so kind of following that HW path through the through the CIA at least and then on to secretary of state
1: well it is uh, interesting and then of course you got the governor of California who's out there sending barbs to the citizen uh, saying I people to call me out
2: let's do a debate and Desantis, I'm not going to do a bait. I'll just send, send harpoons your way at every opportunity. So Pompeii or so so Desantis has a book out, brand new book out, and they're disguising this. They're calling it a book tour, but we all know what it <laughs> really is. Uh, yeah, exactly. And so he's in. So Desantis is at the Club for Growth meeting. He was delivering a keynote address the same time Trump was delivering one at CPAC. So a little back and forth there. Then he's off in California, uh, speaking at the Reagan Library. Uh, but the Reagan Library's kind of gone through this metamorphosis. I would say that more moderate Republicans now actually control the Reagan Library, and that's been indicative of some of the folks they've invited to give speeches to lately Liz Cheney being being one of them. Wow by the way uh, they've got the they're working on a list of nicknames, so Team Trump is working on nicknames for DeSantis. Have you heard about the <laughs> no, I haven't. L- little D <laughs> <laughs> little D. <laughs>
1: <laughs> he, he always has a way of finding out. I know, wonder what his weakness is and what he's most sensitive yeah. about. Little do just, <laughs> like, Little Rocket Man. That was the other That's one. it. That's that,
2: it. I oh, that's right. I forgot about that.
1: Well, uh, Trump has a talent for names. I'm sure he's been doing that his whole life. You think about it. Back in grade school, he was going, we to call him Bobby. Bobby Blinker.
2: (laughs) You know, uh, Bush, George W. was like that. He gave a a lot of people nicknames uh, in the press corps. They had one guy who was super tall who he went running with on the day that the terrorist attacks happened, and they called him Stretch because he was like 6'8 or something. Called him Stretch. Come on, Stretch.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we had a guy I met when I first moved to Memphis. He was 6'7, and we called him Stretch, uh, although I don't (laughs) think he ever ran a foot in his life. (laughs) He (laughs) was just tall. (laughs) So from here, uh, we go through just slowly, uh, more candidates evolve out and announce, um, and DeSantis, what do you think will be the final thing that makes him go ahead and pull the, pull the trigger?
2: Well, I it, it's hard to say. I mean, the polling data is all Trump all the way. Yeah. And and I think, again, now that Russia collusion turned out not to be true, are are the American people going to give him a second shot at it? And I think they will. But the bigger problem for Trump is where is he going to get the votes? He needs votes to win. If the establishment Republican crowd stays home, they're probably not going to be able to pull pull this off. I don't think there's going to be a third party run here. So I think Trump's going to be the nominee. Probably DeSantis as the VP. I, I'm not sure right now. Uh,
1: if, you know, the thing about it is if if he fractures the party – and a bunch of people don't show up, that means the Republicans lose again. Well, I think the party's already fractured.
0: And
2: I think that's what the weird feeling was at CPAC. It was just – it was divided, and and you could feel it. You could feel the tension. So I think that's going to be the issue.
1: Sort of like going over to some couple's house and they've been fighting. Yeah. And, and the wife <laughs> is in the kitchen with all the women and the guys in the living room with the guys. And nobody's talking about either one. And That's it. And then you said they go, well, it'll be over in an hour. We can, <laughs> we can suffer through this. <laughs> all right. Todd Starnes, thank you, sir. Glad you're back home. Thanks, Earl. Good to be back. All right. We're going to take a quick break. Then we'll be back. So stay with us. And welcome back on this Monday afternoon. had an incredible weekend this uh, past weekend. Went over to Arkansas to Heber Springs and uh, the river that runs out of Heber Springs Lake, uh, there at the dam, or as they like to say, the dam site. (laughs) Go take the dam tour. And uh, it uh, is the Little Red River and it flows out of there at about... 58 degrees and so it's really cold and it's perfect for trout and so it's stocked with trout and I've been going there for probably 35 years. Um, uh, My good friend Ron Olson and his wife, Vicki, have a a cabin. They say it's a cabin. The top part is like a a ski chalet in uh, Aspen or Telluride or someplace and then the downstairs there's a two-car garage and right next to it is a, a room with bunk beds and and a big tv and a pool table and a garage door that opens up and you can just walk right down to the river to the boat dock and so that's uh, more of my style <laughs> it's kind of like that's where you go down there and play pool cut bait and then go fishing but uh when we kathy went with me and uh, we went and spent the weekend with them and then our good friends the gunthers just bought a place there so it was um it was a great weekend the weather was incredible i uh, ate some really great food had uh Stuart Gunther, who's really got to be a pretty good uh, outdoor cook, uh, cooked up some uh, some uh, f- fat belly. What you call it? It's fat belly, right? It's what you make bacon from. It is uh, Anyway, you take it, and it comes out really thick, and then you just cut it in strips, and then you cook it on the grill just like you would you know, a steak or, or anything else. You take it off, then you cut it into bite-sized uh, portions, and then you take and put... Uh, Barbecue sauce on some shake, maybe a little bit of molasses or honey. (laughs) They are so good. He had like a a whole platter with these on there. We came by there, and I ate one. It's like popcorn. You eat one, and I kept saying, "God, it's so good." But it's just loaded with fat, and um, I just after I ate about fourteen of, (laughs) I just felt terrible. (laughs) I'm going. I actually feel my veins closing down. Going, that's it for us. We're moving. Why don't you feed us that stuff? But it was uh, pork belly. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate that, Angie. Uh, uh, Paul um uh, editor, and mine as well. <laughs> she listens. And whenever I'm headed down the wrong path, she steers me back. It is pork belly, but it is fat. Too. Uh, but it was delicious. And then we, I, we brought some steaks and cooked some uh, great steaks. And then um, Vicki made these uh, salmon BLTs uh, the last night we were there. They were just you know, unbelievable. But the weather was great, sunshine. Because we were driving down there, the wind was blowing like 40 miles an hour on Friday. And then before that, it was raining, and the river was really up. But um, finally, I, I do think we're getting into spring, and I was... Uh, My house, my azaleas, I I think my azaleas may have survived. I'm starting to see uh, growth on most of them. I do have different varieties, and I think different varieties uh, um, start uh, leafing out at different times. Uh, But it'll be interesting to see what happens. And then uh, uh, my son-in-law helped me today. We have a split-rail fence that runs along the backside of our property, and it's like caving in. It's been there for so long. And they're building new fences in the, in the neighborhood for, for the whole where I live at Halley. But they said that they, they're not going to get it until next year. I said, but it's falling down this year. So they said, well, you can go to the clubhouse and, and get a few pieces just to kind of repair the ones that have fallen off your fence. So my son-in-law went and got about eight of them today. And I got to tell you, they're about 12 to 14 feet long, the cross uh, uh, rails. And then the, the posts are probably five and a half feet tall that you get a pound down on the ground. And uh, move a few of those around when you're not used to it, and uh, I'm all of a sudden I realize that I'm glad I'm not in the fence building business because I think I would be retired after my first first morning at that. But uh, So at least we'll get the fence back up, and if the azaleas come back, and the birds are singing, and the trees leaf out, uh, we're going to have a great spring, and uh, and we're all looking forward to that. I tell you, he's having a, a, a tough time of it, though. Is once again, Joe Biden was coming, uh, leaving Montgomery after his uh, appearance there at the uh, site of the Montgomery Freedom March some uh, fifty-seven years ago, whatever it was, and uh, he's climbing aboard Air Force One, and he he stumbled again. Uh, caught himself. He didn't go down as far as he has in the past, but said Joe Biden stumbles up Air Force One steps for a second time in two weeks as he leaves Montgomery Base in Alabama. Uh, Biden's latest gaffe came on Sunday in Montgomery, Alabama, less than two weeks after his viral episode in Poland, where he really did stumble. But not the worst one was when he first got elected. He stumbled, went down, got up, stumbled again, went down, got up again. And, uh, Finally, he was able to, to, but it is, I mean, the guy is 80-something years old, and see, is that what he is, 80 now? Yeah, 80. Uh, on February 22nd, the 80-year-old president fell forward about halfway up the stairs to the plane while well, departing Poland. So, I mean, 80 years old, that's that's old, and those steps are high. I mean, that that's not like just getting on a normal plane or getting on a private Learjet which you got like four steps, if that many. There's like 37 steps going up to the top of that thing. I mean, I have to come up the steps here every day, and Dylan, how many times do you hear me? stumbling up the steps. (laughs) You're good to go, man. Everybody goes, is he getting up, is he getting up? He's
0: up, he's up! It's like Thomas the Choo Choo Train (laughs) over here.
1: You can do it, you can do it. (laughs) So I know, it's uh, it's just you, you know, you like to see your president as more of a, uh, you know, energetic, uh, go get him kind of a guy. Uh, he still hasn't actually announced. His wife, Jill, keeps saying, they keep asking her, and she goes, how many times does he have to say it? And we're going, he's never said it once. What do you mean how many times does he have to say it? I think there are rules that they have to start following if he does announce that will preclude him from doing some things and not preclude him from doing other things because once you're an announced candidate for president, then you've got to separate what is, uh, you're doing as a candidate and what you're doing as a president. But right now, everything he's doing is the president. So I think that's what they want to try to avoid is getting into that uh, uh, flypaper until they absolutely have to. And then I saw this other thing. It was really pretty hilarious. It was uh, somebody said it to me. It was um, Kamala Harris and, uh, and Julius Louis-Dreyfus, who used to be on Seinfeld, and then she starred in the show called Vice, and it's a really hilarious show uh, because she's so much like so many of uh, our politicians, and uh, she gets angry. I mean, it's a really a good show. I don't know if you ever saw it, but they put this thing together uh, of her ta- talking in the show and then Kamala, and it was almost identical, like she took it from the script. Anyway, it was on uh, The Daily Show. Look it up. I think you're getting a kick out of it. we got to take a break here. We'll be right back. Stay with us.
0: Now, back to the Earl Farrell for Memphis show, brought to you by Southern Security, your home team credit union, and by Kathy Thurman Edwards State Farm Insurance. Once again, Earl Farrell.
1: And thank you very much, and welcome back on a lovely Monday afternoon. In the studio with me right now is a newcomer to Memphis, Julia Fife. Uh, She just went to work for Fox 13, my old alma mater. Of course, all the TV stations here (laughs) are alma mater. I work for all of them. Uh, but uh, most recently Fox 13 and welcome to Memphis.
3: Thank you. I'm happy to be here
1: So how did you get to Memphis? So you said your your latest stop was it was New York?
3: It was New York. I know I've kind of been all over. I grew up in Austin, Texas um, I moved to LA when I was 18. I was a professional dancer when I was 18 Working for Earth Wind and Fire as wow. a backup dancer. Well, you know they're from Memphis. I know. And I did not, I called my mom when I booked that job. I said, some band named Earth, Wind & Fire. <laughs> you ever she heard of a like, mom? She's like, oh my gosh. Um, so I did that for about two years. And I was doing like online school doing that. And then I transferred to the University of Texas back to my hometown in Austin. Which is I went,
1: where I went to school. Yes, after my, Horns. After my freshman year. After Tech, yes. Yeah, because um, I froze to death in Lubbock and I moved to Austin okay. and it was warm.
3: And you made a... Great choice, best school in the world. Well, it is. It's uh.
1: <laughs> it is. I did notice that at Tech you have people from all over the world, obviously, but not as many of anything as there's at Texas.
3: Oh yeah, you've got everything there.
1: And uh, but you just you don't meet as many people because there are so many. You have your, That's your sorority, paternity, and the little groups that you do stuff with. But otherwise, there's just forty eight thousand other people there around you. you (laughs) That's
3: very true. It's very diverse. So many different people, walks of life. I feel like Tech kind of attracts the same types of people. Where the University of Texas is just, it's just a hodgepodge of everyone. It's awesome.
1: You're right. In fact, uh, everybody was at Texas Tech. It's sort of like Mississippi State here, which is where my kids went down in, in Mississippi. And it's everybody's, you know, yes sir, no sir, and uh, let me show you where the the dining hall is, and they don't just point it; they take you there. You know. Aww. Then when I got to the University of Texas, very first day in Texas, I'm walking down the street, and this very attractive girl's walking toward me, and I said, "Good morning," and she she told me in no uncertain terms not to talk to her, oh. <laughs> and I said. Well, excuse me, ma'am. Uh, is it something I said?
3: Where was she from? <laughs> New York City. Oh, okay. Yeah, we do. We. Uh, like it's I said, a different everybody, thing everybody Everybody comes from everywhere at Texas, it but is. it's awesome. You get to experience everything.
1: Yeah, I came, from, grew up in Odessa, which is out in West. Oh, Texas. wow! And so everybody there says hi. Hey, Hi, are you?
3: you? Never been there, but I've heard of it.
1: Yeah. Well, my family never has either. Because I always said, "Daddy, I can be never taking this out to your hometown." I said. Well, it's a great place to grow up. It really was. There mean, some wonderful people there, but it ain't pretty. It,
3: and it takes a long time to get there.
0: Takes
1: a long time to get there, and a long time to get back, <laughs> which is the worst part. Because when you're ready to get back, you're ready to get yes. back. And uh, but it was a great. It was great going up there and have some wonderful people I grew up with, and I we went to Permian High, the, the Friday Night Lights.
3: And, oh wow! How cool.
1: And uh, it was. We went uh, you know, hunting after school every day, and played football and. Drove around Nicky's and A and W in our cars, and uh, you know it was uh, it was like American graffiti, except uh, it was in Odessa.
3: How yeah. fun!
1: So it was a good time. So when you when you you grew up in Austin, yes, and you you go to L.A. as a dancer. I mean, had you done dance through high school? And
3: I had done so. Funnily enough, my life was kind of like Friday Night Lights. My dad was the head football coach at a school in Houston. Which school
1: was it? Because we played Houston in, uh, in the playoffs. Certainly. Klein Oak? Is, that's one, I'm trying to remember the names of the schools we played. They be, they all beat us. I really? That, yeah.
3: <laughs> so he was the head football coach, and my mom was the dance director. Oh, wow. And he went into her office and asked her out, and then the rest was history. So my brother grew up playing football, and I grew up doing dance. Doing, doing the dance. Yes, so I always wanted to be a professional dancer. That was my dream.
1: Yeah, but you really scored. I mean, you hook up with the Earth, Wind and Fire in oh, LA. Yeah, I mean, because yeah. that's very competitive. We have a lot of people that are from Memphis that go out to LA to try to make it, and mm-hmm. it's. A, tough place to make it in anything.
3: Oh my gosh, yes. I always tell people, nothing you say to me can hurt my feelings. I've heard it all.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Mine mostly happened in bars, though. (laughs) Ah. How you doing, man? What's your name? Get away from me.
3: (laughs) And at UT. (laughs) Yes,
1: and UT. yeah. So I've heard abusive uh, uh, language from a lot of places from all over the world, but you do learn to to be tough and, and, Mm -hmm. and not take it personally because... They're just looking at you for what they are looking for, for sure. And you have no idea what they're looking for, and sometimes they don't either. Mm-hmm. They'll go, "I'll know when I see it," <laughs> and that's that's it. So when you got when you went with Earth and Fire, did you tour with them as well?
3: So they actually had a residency in Vegas at the uh-huh. Wynn Hotel. So I was 19 doing that, living at the Win.
1: Now, what did your folks think? I mean, you're 19. You go out to L.A., then you go to the Win. You're living there. You're dancing at <laughs> earth, wind, and fire shows. I mean, uh, you're 19.
3: I know. So my my mom has always encouraged me and been like a big dreamer. My dad's a little bit more closed-minded. Um, I think if it would have been up to him, I would have gone to college at 18 like everyone else. But my mom, you know, they... If I would have gone to college at 18, I wouldn't have had a, I wouldn't have appreciated it.
1: Well, and you really do have to kind of follow your deal.
3: Yeah. And, and
1: people always ask me how I got into broadcasting. I said, there is no one way to do it. There mm-hmm. are a jillion different routes and different ways to do it, and you're going to go – your story is going to be your story. For sure. And, and so you can't – there's no f- formula. There's no uh, – uh, you know, schematic you can follow that says this is how you get to be successful. Your experiences really are who you are now. So where you've been, what you've done, only adds to the fabric of what you are.
3: Mm-hmm, for sure.
1: And so you worked there for a while, and how did you get to New York? Did you...
3: Well, so then I went to school at UT, and then after UT, I was like, I'm, I, I mm-hmm. got my journalism degree. I was
1: gonna ask did you major in journalism. I got
3: my journalism degree, but I was just like, I'm still want to dance. Like, I'm still not ready to give it up. So I auditioned for the Dallas Mavericks, and I did that. And I kind of just had to find a job that would work with that. So. Weirdly enough, I started working in radio in Dallas, Texas, doing traffic and weather reports. At which station? It was, I, it was like, it's called- Oh, it's a service. It was like, we just did traffic reports yeah, for yeah. all of the stations. Yeah, they've
1: got people that do that here. Yes. In fact, some of them are in Atlanta and they're doing traffic I know, here. and they do traffic because yeah. that's
3: just the way that the internet works now. Yeah. Um. So I did that. And then, weirdly enough, I started working for Fox 4 in Dallas. They needed a TV girl to do- um, the traffic. Yeah. So I started doing that. Um, then I got in a car accident, decided I didn't want to do traffic anymore.
1: It scares me.
3: <laughs> <laughs> it really, did, honestly, I, it terrified me were after you, that.
1: Were you covering traffic when you had the accident?
3: um yes wow oh you mean like no no no. no not, i was not working i'm uh, sorry no i was not working um but i was working that was my job you, at the you
1: time. that was you were employed doing that but yes. you weren't on a microphone no going, no, 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 no i was not watch doing this doing <laughs> uh because we did that all the time we we're out live in the cars with a lot of you driving around in ice and snow mm-hmm. and uh, everybody's going are you careful i said we're, we're driving on <laughs> what well, we're telling you not to drive on yeah, you so. know what, what do you think how much sense does this make? <laughs> and uh, so you drive around, you try not to have a wreck, and uh, and the whole key to it is just go slow. Uh, people just mm-hmm. amaze me that they think no matter what, I can drive fast because I've got a big truck. No, I, I bought those knobby tires? And I've got four-wheel drive so I can do anything I want. Then you see them in the middle of the, inner, in the median out in the highway, stuck in the bud. That's when you drive by and go, ta-da. Hi. See you. <laughs> So you're working at, and doing traffic at KDFW?
3: Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Um, and then, yeah. did
1: people tell you that you have more of a face for television than radio?
3: <laughs> well, honestly, radio was a blessing because I came out of college talking like, "Hi, I'm Julia," <laughs> and like my professors were just like, "You've got to, you've got to sound like a mature adult if you're ever gonna get a job." So it was actually a blessing. I needed to learn.
1: And radio, you do that because you you get to be on so much. I know that I went to uh, Joe Roddy at uh, KTBC. I used to bug him oh. to death. I'd try out like once a month. And he was so kind and let me come in. And so I would read for him and I'd go, the man cut the ball bar <laughs> with the plars. And he would go, well, that's, that's getting better, Earl. You're, you're just about there, but you need to work on the accent just a little bit more. I go, well, I sure appreciate it, Mr. Roddy. <laughs> Years later, I see him at a news director's convention in Dallas when I was working in Dallas. And I walked up to him and said, Joe Roddy. And he looked at me and said, Earl Farrell. <laughs> and he looked, I had a photographer with me. He said, I knew you'd make it. You bugged me Aww. so much. He said, "I told He told me, go back to your hometown, bug them as much as you bug me, you'll Aww. get a job. And that's exactly what happened. We're talking to Julia Fife. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll be right back. So stay with us. And welcome back on a Monday afternoon in the springtime here in Memphis. And with me in studio is Julia Fife. And I guess we gotta get this question out of the way. Is you're not in a relation to Barney Fife, are you?
3: <laughs> um, he's a distant cousin. <laughs> no. I get that reference a lot. Funnily enough, I've never well, seen it. Well everybody
1: knows he's he's fictional, but uh, at the same time they probably going <laughs> to ask it, you know.
3: Well, a certain Age range asks me. Oh, that. so you're saying just, just <laughs> the
1: old dudes you if you're related to? Dylan was thinking the same thing. He was in there going, he's oh, never seen oh, it. Ask her, ask her, ask her if she's related to Barney. <laughs> well, it was, a, it was a show that everybody watched and loved, and and so I would I would take any association with that because if anything it helps people remember you, uh, jump on it usually I'm Will Ferrell. They go, nice to meet you, Will. I said, no, no, it's Earl. Said, He's the rich comedian. I'm not. So.
3: Well, I love Will Ferrell. That's a great, that's a great connection.
1: It is. He's a very funny man. And uh, I was, if I could just get a dollar for everybody who calls me Will, then, <laughs> then I would be very happy too. So what was your first impression of Memphis uh, when they called and said, we'd like to see, did they fly you in and did you talk?
3: Yes, they flew me in. Honestly, my first impression was everyone was so kind. Um, I just came from New York, so I've been in my, like, get on the elevator. New York mode. Don't talk to anyone. Get on the subway. Don't talk to anyone. And I'm just walking, and people are like, hi, how are you? Can I do it? And I'm like, right back to my southern roots so and i wanted to come back south i missed i missed well the food
1: alone (laughs) the food alone really i know
3: i've got a lot to try i haven't tried much
1: well the uh the barbecue is different here i mean they do uh pork and it's uh we do pork ribs in texas baby back ribs but our deal is brisket in Texas. Mm-hmm. And here, there's some people doing brisket, and I'll tell you who they are. And, okay. Because you'll you'll need to fix. Although you've been in New York for a while, so I don't guess anybody's doing brisket worth a hoot up there. No. No, it's called no. old roast beef. <laughs> you think this is brisket? <laughs> this is not brisket. Uh, but the, it is interesting because uh, when you're in New York, and you're obviously talking, and you're making friends with all these people, right? Mm-hmm. Do they ever tell you why they – because nobody will look you in the eye walking down the sidewalk. Oh, no. You don't look in the eye. You look straight ahead. And no matter what anybody says to you, you don't talk to them. No. So, I mean, but how do you meet anybody?
3: On It's so funny. All of my friends from New York happened to go to the University of Texas. Really? Pretty much. I told I, you.
1: That's the first person I met there, the New Yorker.
3: Yes. And um, I didn't know any of them in college. But they became like my best friends. And it was just funny because we were like, yeah, we all went to school together, but we didn't know but each didn't. other. Mm-hmm. And what you were saying, like such a big school, we just... You Know cross paths, and you know, there. people
1: ask me all the time. Somebody will Oh, I know somebody who went to Texas. I said, Really? And they go, What was your name? <laughs> <laughs> they say, Do you recognize it? No, no, only 48,000 people <laughs> there, then, you know. And uh, and I was at SAE there, and, okay. And uh, we called it S Sigma Alpha Everybody because there were so many people that were members of SAE. It was literally like my pledge cast had something like 110 people or some ungodly. You know, oh, wow. I mean, it was huge. And I think it's burned down twice since I left there, (laughs) and uh, which gives you some idea what the (laughs) SAEs are like at the (laughs) University of Texas. Uh, They're fun guys. Fun guys. uh, Not too good with the matches. (laughs) Playing with the matches again, Uh, but uh, they—that's the reason I I joined because they had the best parties. Yeah. Yeah. I
3: mean, Uh, that's what college is about, right? Having a good time.
1: My parents disagree with that. (laughs) Mine was always. uh, In fact, my dad took me to A&M when I was about twelve or thirteen, and we drove through College Station, went to the campus. He said, "What do you think, son?" I said, "Well, that's a pretty nice deal, Dad." But where are all the girls? He goes, "Son, this is back when it was just the core." He goes, oh. "There are no women here, son. This is the core. This is Texas A&M University." I said, Dad, "I don't know what you call it, but if you ain't got no girls, I ain't coming here." <laughs> <laughs> so they always said that I should have gone to A&M, and I probably should. I probably got a lot more done no. than that. But it's, it is. Um, Austin is a very interesting place. I mean, it's a very hip place to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but I drove a, a laundry truck uh, in the mornings. I went and picked up laundry at, at all these satellite and laundry places, including a hotel in downtown Austin. And I remember I had to get this little canvas cart on wheels, and I'd take it up this elevator that you ran yourself. You know, it had the little, oh, little, wow. the little handle you go back and forth. And, and you had to stop it as close as you could to the level of the floor. Because you could be a foot off, you know. <laughs> you got to pick up that big cart and heave it up there, and go get all the laundry, that you can bring it back down, and and uh, so I did that in the morning, and then I worked for three days a week from midnight to six at Mrs. Baird's Bakery there in oh.
3: Austin.
1: Everybody else was just coming in drunk, and I was leaving, going, "Gotta go to the bakery." <laughs> Not gonna have any fun, and then I served meals at the good old Wooten Dorm for men. Wow! Uh, at lunch, and I guess so I got free lunch there for serving. And uh, so everybody says, well, "Did you have a good time in Austin?" I said, "No, I worked the whole time." <laughs> but you were in SAE. Well, yeah, that was uh, Friday nights once a month. I got to go to a party, and they always said, "You're behind on your dues, Earl." So what else is new? <laughs> <laughs> How much I owe? They'd go. Whatever it was, and I said, "Look, I got a date. Do you not want her to come? Said, we want her to come, but we don't want." You. I said, "Well, she's with me, so if she comes in, I get to come in." But it was—I uh, mean, it was—it was a good experience. You had Lake Travis there. I learned to water ski Beautiful. on Lake Travis, mm-hmm. and uh, it's a uh, in in the winter. It's kind of bleak because it's just any place is cold and brown, even Austin. Mm-hmm. But gosh, in the spring and the summer and the fall, it's
3: gorgeous. Yeah, it really is
1: an amazing place. Humidity is, is equal. You'll be used to the humidity because it's like that here mm-hmm. in New Memphis, Austin. I can remember waking up on the lawn in front of the S.A. house and going, <laughs> boy, it's hot. It is hot here. But it, in West Texas, it's very arid. There's no humidity mm-hmm. out there. So, you know, I didn't grow up with it. and I just uh, Although we'd go to Houston, Houston's as bad as this. Oh,
3: yeah. Worse.
1: You're, uh, you're at Fox 13. Yes, sir. And uh, you started when? What? We'll find out because we're going to go to break. We'll find out when she started. We know she is now there because I saw her this morning. So we'll talk about that when we come back. The 6th of March, if you can believe that, and uh, in studio with me is Julia Fife, who is the new meteorologist and traffic, they've never really had, they had a a traffic person in the mornings, Mm -hmm. uh, but they never, she's not a meteorologist though.
3: No, she's a reporter. She's
1: a reporter. And so what, and I saw what they were doing because they were bringing somebody else in and they were having uh, Brittany do the weather part, then they would say, okay, what's it like outside as far as the roads? And that helps if you have a meteorology background too. Mm. I used to do weather years ago, but you'd have to be a, a meteorologist when I started. Out, <laughs> is can you say weather?
3: <laughs> can you say the numbers? Yeah.
1: Can you remember the names of the states? <laughs> because there's no the names. If people, if you look at a weather map on television, they don't have Montana stenciled across Montana. <laughs> Arkansas ain't over Arkansas. That means you got to memorize them. <laughs> you
3: got to know the shapes.
1: Yep. Texas was easy. <laughs> <laughs> North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, very similar. But yeah. uh, I remember one of the first times I did the weather and uh, they the weather guy had a wreck coming back and I'd oh, been I've been practicing, you know. Naming them states. And they said, You're on tonight I went. Oh my God! I, I do not have a coat and tie, so they said, "Got a tie, got a coat." Mm-hmm. I'm wearing blue jeans and sneakers, and they shoved me out. And of course, the floor crew who I worked with, you know, mm-hmm. they're all laughing, thinking this is going to be death on television. Oh, and so they shoved me out there, and I'm sweating, and I'm uh, I'm using a pointer back in those days. They had little wooden pointers that mm-hmm. were like teachers had, and it had been broken and masking tape back together. So I'm shaking, and it's it's shaking even more. Mm-hmm. And I'm going, and the weather today. And, the, and, the, and the, everybody and the you can see the cameras are shaking because the, mm-hmm. the guys running the camera laughing so hard. <laughs> God, Lord, please let this be over soon. Mm-hmm. And I got to Arkansas, and I could not re- remember the name of one town in Arkansas. And I said, and in Arkansas, uh, it was 58 there uh, where the Razorbacks play. That's <laughs> <I'm not laughs> all I could come up with. I got through, and I said, "I'm never doing that again." Oh my and gosh. my newsreader said, "It'll never be that bad again," mm-hmm. and it wasn't. It really yeah. is once you go through the test of fire, and you survive it, then you kind of know what to expect the next time.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So, what was your first on air on television? Because on air on radio is different on air on on television.
3: Oh man, it was it was not great. I will not lie, but even like. Like you said, the second time is just- So much better. That's the biggest growth you're ever going to get is from the first to the second time because the first time is just, it's never going to be, <laughs> it's never going to be great. I remember the meteor, I was doing traffic and the meteorologist, he was like my friend and he was trying to mess with me and gave me like a meteor, at this time I did not have my degree so I didn't know what he was talking about, gave me this big meteorolo- meteorology term and I just said the dumbest things. I didn't know what it meant. <laughs> <laughs>
1: As I tell people always in interviews, don't use words in the interview that you don't know the meaning of. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I don't care who tells you to say that. Don't, don't do that. Do it. If you don't personally know, <laughs> do not use that word. Yeah, I. Uh, uh, but we used to have fun in those days. It was the early days of television. This is 1972, and we would do stuff like when they're we going to forecast snow, we get up in the in the overhead on the grid uh, where they hang the lights all from. And we would drop That's down fun. little uh, styrofoam pellets they'd pack stuff with so it looked like it was snowing.
3: Oh.
1: And uh, then we would also, uh, if you hit the, the weatherboard for the back of the set, all those numbers are magnets. And so if you kind of, boom, boom, mm-hmm. all the magnets would fall to the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> so the casts sitting there going, I got nothing.
3: <laughs> that is funny. And we
1: Well, we did. I mean, it's fun, you know. Those, those were the days. It wasn't corporate. Uh, the, mm-hmm. Stations were run by local people, and everybody laughed, and we were we were kind of making stuff up as we went along, and so it was it was fun. As the years went by, it got more and more corporate, and you know you can't do this, can't do that. Nobody, no laughing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, which was always the thing is I was always laughing, and I was. Good. Obviously, uh, we got to find you somebody else to work with. You're having way too much fun.
3: <laughs> Actually, we have a great squad in the morning. It's fun.
1: The morning—that's where I worked was the morning show with uh, Ernie
3: and Valerie,
1: mm-hmm. and back in the day, Joey Sellepeck. Uh, he was the guy that did the weather. He used to wear a bow tie. Aww. And uh, it was—I uh, was out uh, covering whatever whoever got shot, stabbed, blown up, or <laughs> otherwise <laughs> deceased. And so they would come to me, and they go, Ernie, go well. So what's happened out there also? Well, the building is still burned down. <laughs> Ernie, if uh, you see behind me? Nothing but ashes. <laughs> and I don't think it's going to change any soon. <laughs> do we have a cause yet? No fire. Other than that, I'm not. Uh, we don't know exactly how the fire got started, but we do know it was incinerated and. Uh, Right now, we're just standing around uh, waiting for the end of the show.
3: Mm -hmm. (laughs) They burned down.
1: They burned down. And so that was pretty much what I did every day. Mm -hmm. And for five and a half hours, you know. It's a long show. So so that's what what we say often. You'll hear this. You'll hear Ernie say this. Somebody will start dragging something out, and they'll go, this is only a five and a half hour show because you (laughs) (laughs) pick it up a little bit.
3: (laughs) He was playing the game like what you could do. But at the time I, our show starts and ended, and he's like, you could drive to Dallas. You, but you
1: could just about get to Dallas. From could, the beginning, of, beginning the of the show to the, the end. Yeah. Uh, and the, the good thing about what I did was we were always out of the remote and um, doing live shots about every 30 minutes, whereas you're doing every 15 minutes is you've got to do a hit, right? Is it more than more that? More than that. Is <laughs> it?
3: Yeah, it's about.
1: You not get a chance to really leave the studio. You just mm-hmm. have to.
3: You can, I mean, I got like maybe like a five minute break in there.
1: You know, see, what we did is we went to sleep in between uh, <laughs> live shots. So <laughs> somebody always had to be in charge of keeping one eye open, so mm-hmm. you, you didn't sleep through the next uh, break. But after I left, there were some people that did sleep through a couple of the breaks. <laughs> so hooking them so up to shot collars, I think, you know. <laughs> Keep keep the live crew live.
3: Oh gosh.
1: The um the and I guess when you got hired and you came down and you looked around, did they take you out on the town and show you what Memphis looked like, or did they just bring you to the sto- the station and and talk to you?
3: Pretty much just that. I didn't have a lot of time. I was kind of doing other visits and trying to figure out where I wanted to go and what I wanted the next step for my career to be. So I just didn't have a lot of time. Um, but I just this just felt right. For the next step.
1: So when you told people that you doing the business, you were coming to Memphis. What was their first reaction?
3: <laughs> well, I think all my friends wanted me to go home, and all my <laughs> friends in New York wanted me to stay in New York. And I said, "Well, that's not possible right now."
1: Yeah, right now. Um, and and did anybody say, "Well, you know, there's there's a lot of crime in Memphis"? Did they mention that? That
3: that was. Um, one of the things that they said but they also said that it's very fun you know you got the Grizzlies you got Beale Street yep, yep. Um, I was a Mavs dancer but I guess I can you know go for the Grizzlies now
1: well you know they're here yeah know? they're here and you're here <laughs> and so uh, maybe you could go give the, those girls some pointers
3: yeah know? I can help them out sit there and go Kick higher, <laughs> kick higher.
1: <laughs> they, well, people love it when you come in and tell them what to do. Oh, they career. would love that. Yes. They'd love oh, me. Oh, come back and see <laughs> me some more. Tell me what else I'm doing <laughs> Uh But there, it is, it's, it's a great job. I've been here, gosh, almost 50 years. And uh, it is—it's uh, a great place, mm-hmm. and it's downtown is so cool. Yes. I don't know where you're living, but downtown's a great place to live. A lot of people living down there.
3: It's very cool.
1: And uh, there's tons of restaurants. The food is really good in Memphis. Uh, when I moved here, Blue Nun was the number one selling wine, which is oh. a, a sweet Rhine wine. It was just awful. Uh, Matus was another wine, and then Boone's Farm Apple was uh, a big one with the young people.
3: I've heard my mom talk about that. Boone's Farm, yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of
1: bad things happen after <laughs> some Boone's Farm. <laughs> <laughs> couldn't keep you on the farm after the Boone's Farm. But the uh, and since then, we had a guy named John Grazani who had a restaurant. His family is still, many members of family have restaurants here now. He really introduced fine wine to Memphis, and it really changed the town. In fact, mm-hmm. I've often told the Restaurant Society that they should— name a, a restaurant tour of the year award to somebody and, and make it the John Grazani Award because he contributed so much to making Memphis a a really a, a five star restaurant town. Oh wow. It was one of the best restaurants in town. It was right down the street from us here, Erling Jensen's Erling Jensen's and it is is it's a world class. And then just a little bit further up the road is uh, is uh, River Oaks, which is uh, Jose Gutierrez, who's a French right. chef in uh, He's, he, he used to be at the Peabody. He came from Houston, as a matter of fact. Oh, wow. Uh, via France. Uh, and uh, I'm re- I would do stuff with him on the morning show on, at the Peabody. And he has this great French accent. And at the end of whatever he would sa- saute and have flambeau, and I'd blow a can of Beanie Wheeze and I'd say, Well, what about this? He'd go, Oh, don't make me say it. <laughs> so, come on, Jose. Say it for me one time. Okay. Beanie o'enie. I said that sounds so much better in French than yeah. it does in Texan, uh, but he never would try them. He said, "No, <laughs> No will be no it for me." <laughs> but so you got a great restaurants to look forward to, them. and have you got a, gotten a chance to get out and drive around and kind of explore?
3: You know, a little bit. I've been here about a week. I still don't have all my things. Yeah, my movers still haven't gotten here, um, and I had a wedding this weekend in Houston. So, so I you got s- married. I did
1: not. Oh, it was just a wedding. It yeah. was
3: a wedding. It was my friend's wedding. I was a bridesmaid. <laughs> it's like saying. my fifth wedding this year.
1: <laughs> well, there'll be more. Then then that switches over to, um, uh, you know, people Baby having showers, babies. Yeah. babies are, and then then you get to be my age, you're going to a lot of funerals. So, <laughs> so enjoy this time. Yes, for sure. The other part is not, uh, it's a different kind of a scorecard. Uh, but the... Um, as you, what I did when I first got here, as a matter of fact, was I went and got uh, bought a ticket on the Grey Line tour bus.
3: Oh, okay. And
1: I took a tour of the whole town, and uh, but they got cooler tours than that now. <laughs> i will just tell you what I did. There's a thing called uh, Backbeat Tours, okay. and it's a bus that the the guy sings and plays uh, music that comes from Memphis as they drive along and show you all the points of interest uh, in Memphis and Graceland, Sun Studios, mm-hmm. Stax, all the different places. I would highly recommend that. Yeah, that's the, a great it, idea. It'll give you in one day. You'll get a pretty good idea of what where everything is. And, okay. And uh, in relationship to everything else, and so <laughs> go do that. We're gonna take a quick break, and then we'll come back, and we got one more segment with uh, Julia, and then and I'm kicking her out of here. Get me out. She's taking over. <laughs> okay, we'll be back. <laughs> Ba-da-da. that's the only part i could ever sing with that song is finally up welcome back on a lovely monday afternoon the sunshine the birds are singing and we got julia fife in the studio she's the new meteorologist and uh, traffic person at fox 13 my old station and uh, we were talking about how much fun the morning show is there I think they're, like, number one or something now, aren't they?
3: That's what I've heard. They're, yeah. I mean, they're doing great. I, that's not because of me, for sure. No, it was I, because I, was I left. I said,
1: <laughs> <laughs> people in droves started tuning in. It was. Uh, I said, he's gone. I think we won't have to look at him anymore. Uh, now, we always had a good following. In fact, more people of all the stations I worked for in Memphis and I was on Channel 3, Channel 5, Ch- Channel 10 for wow. my restaurant show. And uh, I was recognized more everywhere I went when I worked at Fox 13.
3: Oh, wow.
1: So that's how I know, uh, you know that tons of people watch it. And everybody loves Val and Ernie.
3: They're great. And
1: Brittany. She's mm-hmm. sweet as she can be.
3: Oh, she's the sweetest. So
1: you just get in there and just be part of that team. And, and you'll laugh a lot because Ernie's really funny. He's very dry.
3: Oh, so very dry. dry. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, but he will get that little smirk on his face and you can say, he's getting ready to come up with something. <laughs> What's it going to be? <laughs> and uh britney handles him real well yes she just gives it right back to it she does She "They go, right ernie thank you very much uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's, he always, whatever you say he always seems so pleased with himself Did you see that was kind of funny did you get that that was funny huh? i just did that <laughs> funny uh but they're they're really good people and they've been the guys they've been together doing that for oh valerie's been there like 26 years i think
3: I think that's what they were saying. I don't know the exact numbers, but twenty. Yeah. I think 17 is when they came together.
1: Uh, they started working together. Yes. He's originally, I think. Is he?
3: He, he's a New Yorker. Yeah, that's right. He was, we were talking about it.
1: Yeah, because he likes the Giants.
3: Oh, I didn't know that he liked the Giants. That's yeah, interesting. So. Okay. Well,
1: I kept telling him, cowboys, <laughs> cowboys. And he kept going, no, no. 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 Yeah. Uh, he, he went to uh, Michigan State.
3: Yes, he did,
1: and uh, so he's a Spartan, and but he kept he kept pulling for the uh, New York Giants, and I just kept saying, "Man, dang it!" Yeah, and so uh, there were only a few people in the building that were Cowboy fans, and so we always made our our feelings known, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, they made theirs known about how they felt about <laughs> it. <laughs>
3: Have that was like back in the day when the Cowboys were good, right? They haven't been good since, right?
1: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Are you listening to this, Dylan? (laughs) We should invite her in to do our picks this year on the NFL.
3: I will. I'll help
1: you. (laughs) Yeah, back in the day. Oh, we used to have some big big games back in the day. Uh, uh. You know, we got into the playoffs again this year. In fact, we beat been New a, York. Been another, a minute. Yeah, yeah. It's been a minute. Uh, well, that was last season. Who's going to talk about the past? We're looking toward the future. We're future, future people. We're yes. Future people. Sorry, positivity. And uh, I'm pretty positive that uh, we'll have another season next year. And uh, who, knows?
0: <laughs> <laughs> who knows? We need more people in here talking common sense to you all about the Cowboys.
1: <laughs> Since when did common sense ever have an influence on me? <laughs> yeah. Never.
0: I
3: admire the dedication, though.
1: But see, you work morning, so you could do that because what we do during football season is we have a panel, we come in and we sit there and and we uh, pick the, team, the NFL teams for the week. Okay. And then you could come in and do that, and uh, you can make your feelings known then. And, we'll, and keep in mind, I was very nice to you today because okay. you're new in town.
3: All right, okay.
1: But when you come in and do the show, we we treat each other terribly.
3: Okay, and gotcha. Re- and
1: remind each other of what <laughs> miserable picks you made last week. <laughs> And now, those that you're picking today are also pretty miserable. <laughs> so you come back into morning at uh, what time do you start? Four thirty?
3: I get in around four. Help Brittany out. I'll. It'll start. We'll start trans, transferring me into weather a little bit more. They're just kind of getting my feet wet right now and just having me in traffic because I've already done that. Um, so we'll. I'll slowly start integrating into the tra- well, weather. T- just
1: for minutes. Whenever you can throw this in, say, something about the occluded front we've got moving <laughs> through there. And they'll look at you go, ooh, occluded.
3: Occluded. <laughs> occluded.
1: Is anything like a cold front? <laughs> Do you I don't know. Earl taught it to me.
3: He's a he's a meteorologist. Yes, well. He, but back in the day when you didn't need a degree.
1: No, you just had to have a <laughs> finger you could lick and hold up in the air to get the direction of the wind.
3: And uh, put magnets on the wall.
1: <laughs> I know how to, well, I used to just kind of throw them up there like potato chips. <laughs> <laughs> Wherever they landed, that's where the sun that was, was that the day. Temperature. That's right. Well, you're delightful, and we're glad you're here in Memphis. I thank you for coming on and being on the show with us. Um, and uh, have you found a place to live? Have you looked around town yet, or are you still looking around?
3: I've, d- I've found a place to live. I just decided to live close to the, to the station. I just felt Right when I move here, I'm gonna get my feet wet. I don't want to be late to work. And then once I live here for a year, maybe I'll live somewhere I did,
1: cool. I did the same thing when I first moved here down in the uh, uh, Mount Mount Moriah area near. Um, uh, anyway, the gunfire kept kept me up at night, so I I left there. Oh <laughs> right almost right after I moved in, moved to Midtown <laughs> to Madison Avenue near near oh, nice. the Odin Square. Oh yeah. Yeah, so it looks around there. It was near an entertainment area, which I thought would be a good idea.
3: Yeah. Julia
1: Five, <laughs> thank you for coming on and good luck to you.
3: Thank you so much. We'll have you
1: back and picking the winners in football season.
3: I got you. All
1: right, we're gonna take a <laughs> break. Randy Wright of the dive shop. Up next.
0: Now, back to the Earl Farrell for Memphis show, brought to you by Southern Security, your home team credit union, and by Kathy Thurman Edwards State Farm Insurance. Once again, Earl Farrell.
1: And thank you very much and welcome back in-house with me right now is Randy Wright with The Dive Shop. Uh, I saw a recipe he had uh, up just the other night with, with crawfish and cabbage.
4: Yeah. Just, uh, you know, that's what I had in the refrigerator.
1: <laughs> <laughs> see, thing is, and I, I mentioned to him, I said, I can't tell you the last time my mother used to cook cabbage all the time and when she would cook it, I thought, well, my sister is either getting a Tony perm or my mother's <laughs> boiling cabbage in boiling because cabbage. it smells about the same. Yeah. And, uh, but the difference was if my sister got her hair permed, she'd cry for two days because it was always too curly. Yeah. And you can't get it out of there once it's yeah. there. And so I was always praying it was just cabbage because we could eat it <laughs> and it just stunk up the house for a little bit. But you say what you do is you, uh, you, uh, Bake it or boil it? Roast it. Roast
4: it. You know, take a a cast iron skillet and cut the cabbage in quarters or even eighths and leave the stem in it so it holds together. A little olive oil, salt and pepper, maybe throw some garlic powder on it and put it in a 375 oven until it browns up and crisp up on the edges. And it's just fantastic. And does it
1: taste different than the boiled cabbage?
4: Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's more like a – more like – Kind of in between a slaw and and the the cooked cabbage, but you know you everybody's roasting Brussels sprouts these days. That's a big deal. It's kind of the same prep, same thing going on, and a little bit different taste, a little lighter than a Brussels sprout.
1: Because actually, sauerkraut is made from cabbage, correct? Mm -hmm. And uh, I always wondered how they did that too. They said, "How could you get something to taste so different?" Yeah, you know, it, well, it's
4: fermentation, it, and yeah. that's big these days too because of the probiotics and all that kind of thing. My yeah. wife is really into that; she keeps the mother going and adds stuff to it all the time. So we're always having something that's pickled. You know? <laughs> um, it's supposed but, to be good for you, so I'm, you know, I'm just
1: you got all these little little containers under the sink in the dark growing. You go, yeah, don't touch was, any all of all those.
4: Kind of <laughs> things. Yeah, well, and I, you know. We did sourdough for a while. Of course, I still enjoy sourdough bread. I do, bread, too. But,
1: and, but you always have to have your little starter dough, yeah. and then you keep growing it. You yep. just keep and adding gotta, to it. you got to
4: hold on to it. And,
1: and and there are some, sort of like uh, Dyer's Hamburger's Grease. You know, yeah. It's that, like 100 years old. I mean, it's not all the same. They keep adding right. to it. But the basic grease started 100 years ago. Yeah. I mean, cooking, adding to it all ever since, and the same way with the sourdough bread, there's bread out there. God knows how far back, he can yeah. Go.
4: There, are, I mean, you can go to Etsy or eBay and those kinds of places and find people that have these really old cultures and stuff that they go back to the very early days of this, this country, anyway. And, Isn't that amazing? And, and I'm sure that somebody's got some going from Europe, yeah. Um, so you can get all kinds of things like that if you go looking for them. There's such a, a big community these days. of of home homestead lifestyle things and doing their own pickling and their own bread making and all that kind of stuff. So there's tons of resources for that these days.
1: With scuba, because you go all over you have gone all over the world and we were talking about it the other day, how many dives you over five thousand dives you've been on. Not
4: not quite five thousand yet. But, but close. Getting real close, yeah.
1: But the, one of the things about it is all the different things you've learned to eat, that you have eaten, that learned sure. to cook. And I think that's why I, you're, you're such a fascinating cook. I mean, I look yeah. at your Facebook page every day to see what else you've come up with. And it's not like you're doing French cuisine or some type of you know Scandinavian fusion or anything. Yeah. It's taking simple things that you've got in the, the icebox and then turning it in. To that nice meal.
4: Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's. I still study technique all the time. I grew up in a family where all the guys cooked at the camp, you know. So I sure. learned a lot of things there. One of my roommates in college was a was a sous chef in a, in a French restaurant in Baton Rouge. So, you know, I learned all the sauces, and I learned all those classic preparations. Um, and then there was, I can't remember the name of the book, but there was a whole thing that went on for a couple of years about, like, three-ingredient cooking. You know, just break it down to the basics and don't don't put too much in there. And, and so it's just been a, a synthesis of, of cooking for literally 60 years. I mean, I learned to make – well, let's call it 59 years. I learned to make coffee. <laughs> Our maid taught me how to make French drip coffee when wow. I was six years old, and that kind of started me down that path.
1: That is interesting because uh, – when I was growing up in West Texas, they didn't let kids drink coffee. We'd go visit my grandmother in Houston, and my great-grandmother was from Louisiana, and she'd say, come have some coffee with me this morning. <laughs> and so yeah. we would sit there in that kitchen, which smelled wonderful yeah. every time I ever was in there. And she would make this uh, French, Louisiana-style coffee, yeah. And uh, it just tasted totally different from any other kind of coffee. Oh, sure,
4: yeah. Well, I mean, it's the real dark roast, and if she was putting milk in it, yeah. you know, that's the cafe au thing, a half boiling milk and half coffee. And it's, yeah. that's what you get at Cafe Du Monde and all the classic restaurants down in New Orleans. And I, I keep coffee and chicory. And I mix it with other dark coffees and things I don't like straight up. Don't like too much chicory, but
1: what is the chicory? Because I always heard they go to Cafe Du Monde and get the chicory coffee, and and they got a little whipped cream on top. And, and and
4: chicory is something that I think started uh, as an adjunct to coffee because coffee was expensive and it was. Well, hard I know to get.
1: during the Civil War they couldn't get any coffee, well, and, and so chicory.
4: They... Chicory is another product, and I'm not. Uh, unfortunately, I don't really think it's another bean of some kind that they roast and and. Either add it to, I have seen 100% chicory, but I've never tasted what that is. I'll buy the Café du Monde coffee and chicory, and then I get the, the café special from, um, from Community and use about two-thirds of the dark coffee and then the coffee and chicory from Café du Monde. It produces a really, really nice taste profile.
1: What do you think came first, your curiosity for cooking, or the, because you didn't know about scuba until you moved to Memphis? And got no, to
4: actually, I, I, you know, I had two hero, well, three. My dad obviously is very important in my life, and, and but I had two other guys that really impressed me as I was growing up, and one was Neil Armstrong. Uh, and I've been wearing glasses since I was about nine years old. So the, the idea of becoming a pilot, much less an astronaut, went out the window fairly early. But, you know, the undersea world of Jacques Cousteau yeah. was on in those days. And Sea Hunt sure. uh, was another program that was on. And, and I was fascinated by Jacques Cousteau. I mean, totally, totally fascinated by everything that he put on television. And I would wait. You know, you had Ed Sullivan, and then the Undersea World of Jacques Cousteau, and and I would sit and watch that program just totally. And and for a couple of years, in the Sears catalog, they had scuba gear. So two hundred and twenty nine dollars. You remember record, how much it was? A complete <laughs> set, right? And I was eight or nine, I guess. And it would come out in that that Christmas wish sure. thing, and it had the scuba gear and. I dog-eared that page and laid it on my dad's desk, and Christmas came and went the first year. <laughs> and um, nothing. I think I got a shotgun or something that year. Uh, and then the next year, it was in there again. So I mm-hmm. dog-eared the page, put it on his desk, and I was in my room studying. When he came home, he came in, walked in my room. That catalog hit the desk next to me where I was studying. He turned walked out of the room. And he said, you grow up and make your own money. You can kill yourself any way you want to, but I'm not buying that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, fast forward twenty years later when I took a job in the dive business and within a year had dinner at Commander's Palace in New Orleans with Jean-Michel Cousteau sitting to my right and his father Jacques wow. sitting just to his right. So, you know, it was a it's been something that's driven a whole lot in my lifestyle.
1: But that really is pretty amazing when you think about heroes, and there you are. Not not just having getting to meet them, but yeah. have dinner with them at an incredible restaurant in New Orleans. Sure.
4: I mean, it just—that that whole thing. And that was within the first 16 months I was in the business.
1: He came through here on the Calypso. He mm-hmm. came to Memphis, uh, gosh, 30 years ago. Yeah. And he and his son—and I remember uh, David Pavlik, who was my photographer on that story— the his boat had kind of angled in against the shore there down by the cobblestones mm-hmm. and, and it was the river was pretty low in fact it was lower than the cobblestones and there was mud and so he said I, he goes I think I'm just going to jump off the bow here and get a shot from the front just, so I'm going to jump off and you just hand me the camera down after I jump I said okay <laughs> he jumps and he had on shoes <laughs> but his feet went so far in the mud he never <laughs> saw those shoes again <laughs> And I lowered. I said, "Do you want me to lower the camera down now?" He goes, "Yeah, let me get my footing." But he said, yeah. "Those shoes are gone forever, man. And they yeah. just swallowed those up." Well,
4: they would have been anyway with that mud in them. That's one of the. But kind of
1: things. He, it was just amazing because I'd always grown up watching it as well, and uh, to actually be on board the Calypso. Yeah. I mean, because it's as famous as they were.
4: Oh, yeah. It was the the kind of center of that whole program and everything that went on.
1: State-of-the-art ship. I mean, it had everything. Mm-hmm. How did he finance all that? Was it the TV show that paid for everything? Uh, the not, you
4: know, I don't really know. The Cousteau Society obviously was, uh, you know, one of the first ocean conservation things ever to exist and and I know that a lot of people donated a lot of money to that so between the sponsorships that they had for the shows and what they brought in from the Cousteau Society I think is how they that was a minesweeper, sweeper is a wooden boat actually and really yeah it's an all wood construction and was a minesweeper sweeper in the I want to say the First World War and the Second World War, and and then they acquired the boat and refitted it for what their purpose was.
1: You know, John Wayne had a mine sweeper. Really? For a boat, yeah. He bought from the Navy uh, out of mothballs or whatever, and had it converted into just a yeah. a cruise ship. But I mean, you can imagine the Duke pulling into harbor with yeah. a and a mine sweeper. Yeah, absolutely. All well, that at the, the bridge.
4: Cousteau was refitted several times, and and or Calypso. And uh, now is at Anchor someplace in, like, Singapore or someplace. And somebody's gotten a hold of it, and there is a small effort to try to restore it. Did his, his son pass?
1: I mean, because I hadn't heard anything from Well, him.
4: he lost one. Uh, Jean-Michel is still around, at least. I I had a drink with him in, in Las Vegas here about three years ago, right before COVID. Um, and um, I haven't seen or talked to him in quite some time. I need to get in touch and, and see how things are going. Oh, but the grandkids are still working in that world, in Ocean Conservancy and and that kind of thing. So, yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's pretty amazing.
1: We're talking to Randy Wright at the Dime Shop. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Stay with us. And welcome back on this Monday afternoon with, with the uh, Sixth day of March, uh, Randy. S- sunny was, Monday. I, I know. Beautiful. Uh, I was in your store today, and there was a guy at the counter talking to Lisa, who's been with you. How long has Lisa been with you?
4: Lisa's been there about twenty years now. Yeah, yeah. she's she's couldn't
1: she's, make that place happen without her.
4: My goodness gracious, no.
1: <laughs> but the, all the people have been there for a long time. Most of the people have been there. For years, yeah,
4: it? it's a it is a place that people stick around, and I, you know, I I'm not going to claim I've been there for thirty seven years, I think.
1: Because like you wouldn't that. leave. Well, yeah, I mean
4: they, <laughs> they couldn't throw me out. Um, Doug tried a couple of times and when his mother was still around. She was like, junior. You leave him alone. <laughs> so I got to stay.
1: But the, he was in, and he, she was explaining on he's going on this uh, weekend trip coming right. up. And uh, you can tell, I think it's probably the first one of the first trips he's taken with him. It'll
4: it'll be the first time he goes actually outside of the pool diving. He was he was registering for an open water trip to complete his training. That's right, yeah,
1: because I heard him talk about yeah. the open water and yeah. uh, and but he was really excited about it. You could just tell, it, look at him, his face when he was talking to Lisa about it. And she said, "So that's it, Every, Everything's set? If you need more money, yeah. you call me." She goes, "We've never been shy about yeah, that. Now, know, we, right. yeah, we're not."
4: We're not shy about that part of it.
1: But you told them this is how much the whole trip and, and your sure. hotel, your accommodations, everything. And
4: uh, yeah, we're going up. That that particular trip is a place called Mermet Springs, just above Paducah, Kentucky, about nine miles above Metropolis, Illinois, where they have the Superman um, museum and store. You can buy anything Superman in Metropolis. So but, uh, obviously
1: Jerry Seinfeld is a big fan of that place. Yeah, I
4: would he? imagine. But it's a uh, you know, it's a it's a great place to go diving. It's a quarry up there and, and all along the interstate systems throughout the southeast as they were building the interstates when they when they finished getting the, the rock out and the quarries started to fill up and they really couldn't sell as much rock. Um, a lot of those have been turned into diving places and we visit several of them. There's one there above Paducah, there's one over in Hopkinsville. There's one just outside of Lebanon, Tennessee that we go to quite a bit uh, called Martha's. Uh, then there's one in Huntsville that is randomly open. There's one just below Birmingham. So we hit all of those during the summer as well as several of the lakes in Arkansas and southern Missouri and then, um, you know, just for, for the weekend. Go someplace and go diving, the Gulf Coast, uh, that sort of thing. I just put together a, a new thing that we're doing called certifications. Vacations. We're going to be going down to Cozumel for three days of diving. So this one leaves on a Friday, comes back on Tuesday. you got three days of diving to accomplish your the end of the training to become an open water diver. And um, so we're doing a lot of short things along with the stuff that lasts two weeks and goes halfway around the world.
1: Well, it's also a, it's a shorter-term thing, and it's less expensive. Yeah. Uh, and you can book them relatively quickly. I know I was talking to my last guest, Julia Fife, and she was right. saying she got uh, certified in Jamaica. Yeah and I said, yeah, I got certified in the Bahamas. It's a quick lesson, it's good. <laughs> you breathe through this. Yeah. Don't breathe too quickly. your oxygen will leave you. Are, are you for scuba? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you I mean, like scuba.
4: Yeah. Yeah, that's a uh, well. It's a lot of people get through that experience and still love diving, and some don't. So they survive. We're, yeah. we're here to fix that, you know. Uh, <laughs> but that,
1: but that is, I mean, and I told her, I said you should come down here and and meet Randy, and well, she you met her. Yeah, on the we way met up, her in Yeah, uh, because I said they will teach you so much more, and the better prepared you are for anything the better off you're going to be and the better you'll be at it
4: it's all about that you know come by and see us at 999 south yates or call us at 763 dive we're easy to find and uh join us on the 17th for stew and brew for saint patty's day if you don't want to go downtown and deal with crowds there you go and that's where i'm (laughs) gonna be all right
1: we're getting out of here we'll see you tomorrow